0: From McKinsey's Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice, I'm Sean Brown and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. Successful business transformations require an all-in commitment to make bold strategic moves in both performance improvement and portfolio changes. In today's episode, McKinsey contributor Cam McKellar speaks with two senior partners about their new research into what's required to create transformations that stick. Chris Bradley is a senior partner based in Sydney and leads the strategy and corporate finance practice in Asia. Wesley Walden is a senior partner in our Melbourne office and leads McKinsey's transformation work across the Asia Pacific region. Now over to Cam. Wes, Chris, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for
1: having us. Wes, the term transformation is one of the most used and arguably overused in business. What is transformation in your experience and what do executives tend to get right and also misunderstand about transformation
2: so we talk about transformation we talk about organizations making a step change in their performance and their health that they sustain over time and what we mean by that is a step change in their financial performance and operating performance but then they also bake that into their culture their capabilities their ways of working and they sustain that in a way that allows them to go on and continue to transform so quite often the best organizations don't just go through one transformation effort they go through a series of transformation efforts I think when I look at executives and how they think about transformation, they all start with a great aspiration. So they all start with some sense of wanting to do something that's bigger or better or different. But I think they tend to fail uh, in some some fairly common failure modes that we see. So the first is the aspiration itself, how they define that aspiration, how high that aspiration is, uh, and how they communicate it. So how they actually make it part of of a true transformation story about where the business is going. The second is failing to engage the leaders in the business in the right way and and really get the ownership uh, across their management teams. I think the third is they uh, fail to really engage the organisation more deeply. So to allow the people in the business to really own the transformation and own the elements of the transformation. They also tend to forget the softer side of transformation. So they don't focus on how do we improve culture, how do we improve capabilities. And I think, finally, one of the most important uh, failure modes is they don't really appreciate the context that they're starting with. So are they facing into tailwinds, where they're you know, perhaps in, a, in an industry that's structurally advantaged and, and, uh, and you know, has a bunch of trends that are supporting it in the right direction? Or are they facing into headwinds, which might be a declining industry?
1: Chris, one of the central ideas in your book, Strategy Beyond the Hockey Stick, is that a power law plays out in the world of corporate profit. We know that a few top performers capture the vast majority of that profit. What I'm curious about is how the power curve and the suite of strategy moves you detail in that book relate specifically to transformation. What compelled you to step back and connect those two
3: ideas? Well, it's really tempting when you're cooking up your next performance improvement plan to think that you're, you're bowling alone, but actually the management team across town in the in a similar looking boardroom is also cooking up a f- performance improvement plan. And that's what the power curve tells you. It says that for 60% of companies, they're running really, really hard just to stay in the same place to earn their cost of capital. And I think what's often underappreciated is the level of incremental effort required in a competitive situation to stay ahead. So what that says is you need to do something very, very extraordinary to kind of jump out of the fray. And what we see in the power curve is that the top quintile of economic profit has you know, an average economic profit around 1.4 billion but the middle 60% is actually close to zero. So there's this nonlinear difference between the top quintile and the middle. Something really extraordinary is happening. For companies that do start in the middle, all things being equal, they have an 8% shot of going up to the top. So that's a good number to us because it's a kind of a big enough number that it says, it's not ridiculous to try and be in the top 8%. If you're in school, it's not crazy to try and be in the top 8% of your class. But it also says you have to be doing something better than 92 percent. And those other 92 percent, maybe they're not all studying as hard as you, but they're still studying. You've got to do something extraordinary to get into that, into that top 8 percent. There has to be something uniquely big versus the market that you're doing to get you up the power curve. So it wasn't a hard link at all to say, hey, there's something transformational going on. That says you've got to do something that puts you in a categorically different place in terms of performance and momentum than you were in before. So that's the aspirational story. What's the other side of the power curve? What are the odds
1: of a company going down?
3: The world of economic profit is a bit like snakes and ladders because by definition you're in a competitive world and you're competing for capital. If you move up a slot, someone else is moving down. And in fact, if you're in the middle of the power curve, there's even higher odds of going down to the bottom than going up. So you've got to step back and go, okay, well, what are the odds here? and in a way what's the level of downside i've got and the level of upside and how do i create strategies and transformation approaches that are asymmetric that give me more upside and less downside and something we'll talk about later is somewhat perhaps paradoxically the risky feeling big bold moves actually are exactly what give you that you know in in a way the riskiest thing you can do is kind of be timid
1: right okay so let's talk about those moves uh Where's your advice to companies looking to go up the power curve and improve their odds of having a successful transformation is to go all in. What does going all in actually mean?
2: So going all in means using a combination of what we would call performance moves and portfolio moves. So when we look at the moves that that companies apply when they're trying to improve uh, their economic profit, there are five moves. So two of those are what we call performance moves. Uh, and that's uh, really around productivity improvement. The second one is around differentiation. So perhaps you know, differentiating your product, the way you go to market. And then there are three portfolio moves. And the three portfolio moves that we look at are reallocation of capital in terms of you know, where and how you apply capital, programmatic M&A, and the third one is major capital projects. And so we see organisations that uh, succeed in moving up the power curve through transformation as significantly increasing their odds if they apply both performance and portfolio moves together. And now that doesn't mean that they do them both at exactly the same time. And it could be one performance move, one portfolio move, but it also matters where you actually start. So your context, are you in an industry that's facing headwinds or an industry that's facing tailwinds? So if you're facing headwinds, it actually means that your odds of moving up the curve are obviously a little bit lower, but you still have to go all in. If you're facing headwinds, and you pull both performance and portfolio levers, you've got a 20% chance of going up to the top quintile in the power curve by going all in. If you've got tailwinds, you know, which means you're either in a structurally advantaged industry or you're benefiting from you know, good growth in that industry, you've actually got a 39% chance of going to the top quintile of the power curve if you pull both
1: performance and portfolio levers together. So if you go all in. Let's get into the trenches for a second, Wes. Given transformation takes a lot of time and a lot of energy, how do you sustain that energy in an organisation and really make the transformation stick? I think making the transformation
2: stick in any organisation requires a lot of energy. It requires a lot of energy from the leadership in the organisation. And that energy comes from great communication. It comes from inspiration. It comes from reward and recognition as well. And I think actually helping people to understand that they're part of something that's bigger. You know, we always talk about what gives people a sense of meaning, and when you ask that question to five different people, you get five different answers, and that's not surprising. So when you want to bring an organisation along with you and you want to transform in a way that is fundamentally different from where the organisation's been in the past, you need to create a compelling story about what that means for the people in the organisation, for the customers that we serve, uh, and also for the shareholders. Right, and what sort of form does that story take? Typically, when we talk about a transformation story, it starts with a a really compelling vision about about what could be possible. And then it's grounded in a sense of where we are now. And then we also ask people to, to, to bring that back to them about what it means for them and why it matters for them. So if you're a CEO, you need to be able to communicate where you want to go, where we are now, and why this matters for you personally. Because it's that personal connection that gives it a sense of authenticity that really makes a difference for the people that you're leading. You then need to talk about you know, who else is in this with me, so who's coming along the journey, and then what's in it for everybody around you in the organisation.
1: Let's return again to the science for a second. Uh, you talked about productivity moves, Chris. How do you define those big productivity moves? For instance, how hard the companies have to pull the levers?
3: Yeah. How big is a big productivity move? The thing that makes a difference statistically to going up the power curve, one of the five things is performance moves, and by that we mean improving your productivity that could be measured as sgna to sales or it can be revenue per head there's multiple ways of measuring it but the important point is you have to be improving relative to your industry faster than 70%. So there's this whole really important point it's not just how big your plan is it's how much bigger your plan is than the next person's.
1: Right. So it's the sense of bringing the universe into the room that, the, that you're, you're on this power curve and you're not competing alone, you're competing against other people. Your productivity improvements have to be big relative to your competitors.
3: Your productivity moves have to be big relative to your competitors but also cumulatively big. There's something really special happening in these companies that over a decade are just going faster than 70%. So lots of our clients, lots of companies can move in bursts. They can do short bursts of effort, short sprints, and get kind of that rush of that initial improvement in margin. But over a 10 year period to be consistently faster and consistently better at driving productivity, there's something special going on. And To us, that's where it really does become strategic because there's something about the big choices you've made about your culture, about your operating model, about your core capabilities that really delivers that.
1: So we talked about portfolio related moves. How big does a portfolio related move need to be and and how often do companies have to make them? Is it multiple moves every year, a few big moves?
3: So roughly speaking, uh, we outlined three different types of portfolio moves. So there's programmatic M&A. That just means doing at least two deals a year and none of those deals being worth more than 30% of your company. So kind of no big bites, but a steady diet of deals. Resource allocation means you're moving about 60% of your resources into different places over a 10-year period. That's 6% a year. By the way, that's two to three times faster than the average company. So there's something happening in your company that's allowing resources to be more liquid and to flow more freely. And finally, for capital expenditure, you have to be 1.7 times the industry average in terms of capex to sale. So there's something going on there where you've got a deal flow or a, a project opportunity flow that's just much bigger than the average firm in your industry. Now performance moves are really about stepping on the gas, but portfolio moves are about being in the right lane. And this is why the great race driver is going to do a mix of both things to win the race. If you step on the gas and you're in the slow lane, you're probably going to get into trouble. What we find is that, you know, changing lanes is just as important as stepping on the gas. Just to add to that, that's why we see organisations
2: that apply both portfolio moves and performance moves and they go all in, over time they effectively reinvent themselves. So they actually can quite often change the way that they go to market, how they make their revenues, what they are fundamentally as an organisation, because they pull both moves together over time.
1: What would you say to an executive who thinks it's safer to make uh, to take a more conventional approach to transformation and focus just on cost cutting and improving productivity?
2: And I think the first thing I would say to any executive is it doesn't matter where you are, whether you're you know in a, a situation where you're really struggling to make cash flow or. You know, whether you've got great cash flow and you want to be able to go to the next level, I think you have to start by looking at the industry context. You really need to understand what's happening in the market. You need to understand, you know, your relative position in the market, what are the trends that are influencing the market, and then based on that, start to form an aspiration of where you go from that position. Now, in some cases, that's going to start by a pure play on performance where you say, look, you know, we need to actually build the, the fundamentals in the business on on how to execute in a different way and elevate our performance to a completely different level. And back to Chris's analogy, it's about, you know, how do we go faster? How do we drive the car better? And then from there, you might go and look at uh, portfolio moves. You might look at actually reinventing how the business works and, and stepping out altogether.
3: We don't want to do all the moves at once. I think the first idea is you want to use your time as a CEO to put the right package of things together. We're just saying, if you follow the maths, that package of thing is going to, have a set of performance moves and portfolio moves in it but it's not about doing everything at once it's not a cacophony big moves are cumulatively big there's something about constancy of purpose and just steady movement that really really matters here to the point of risk though the reality is for most legacy organisations they're set for a next decade of constant transformation that's just a reality of life our managing director says the world is never going to be changing as slowly as it is now My attitude to risk is a bit like if you live on the side of a volcano, sometimes the very safest thing you can do is run like hell. And there's just a very human bias that says hunkering down and staying where I am is somehow safe. We've actually got the stats on that. It's just not true. So the intuition you have that kind of steady as she goes is the best way to run a company just doesn't meet with the facts. In general, the biggest risk to a company is not being bold enough. And that's because you're not acknowledging that the world out there is moving really quickly and it's probably moving faster than your company. So when the executive team and the board are thinking about these moves, are there particular moves that are more powerful than other moves? We think your moves need to shape to your context. Let me give you an example that's gonna be really counterintuitive and actually go against the grain of what management folklore is. And the management folklore that I'm gonna challenge is, you have to stick to your knitting and you have to earn the right to grow. Actually, when you're in a negative industry, if you're starting in a bad place, A pure performance improvement approach does not do anything for your upward odds at all. And in fact, the worse starting point you are in, the harder you have to do the change lanes. So you've got to play to your context. Now, by the way, if you've got a tailwind, then having a big capital program with a little bit of performance improvement on top is a really great way to increase your odds. When you're in a negative context, you've really got to go full on top right all in, performance moves and portfolio moves.
1: Right. Chris, capital expenditure appears to be a particularly tricky move in this suite of moves. What does your research suggest about big capex moves?
3: Well, for four out of five of the big moves, they're really asymmetric. When you pull a big move, you get more upside and less downside. The one case where that's not true is capex. It's really two sided. And you get really, really different results if you're investing into a tailwind, which is positive, or you're going against a headwind, which is negative. A lot of ceos want to improve their performance if they're in a bad place by growing and we agree growth in the long run is really really good but if you're in a, a core that's tough just adding more capital into that core does isn't going to help you so if we think about some of the more capital intensive industries we work, work in, think of investing at the top of the cycle versus investing at the bottom of the cycle you get a really different result so capex is the kind of treat with caution big move and really take context into account what we do know though is A strategy built just around growth of the balance sheet that doesn't have better economics in it, doesn't have performance improvement, has pretty poor odds. So you've always got to make sure when you are expanding your balance sheet, when you're pushing hard on those projects, you're doing something that's giving you that increasing returns to scale. It's what we call advantaged growth. But there's lots of companies over time that that show up in our research that actually manage to relocate their portfolio to a better place. Companies that seem to make big moves on the power curve Seem to be better at backing the big green lights rather than managing the red lights in their performance.
1: Okay, you're talking about changing lanes. Over what period of time are we talking here? Five years, 10 years, 20 years? It, it's a good question,
2: right? And I think it varies. I mean, I, I mean, typically we would talk about a transformation having a, a time frame that could be two to three years for the, the, that phase of the transformation. I think if you're talking about uh, fundamentally changing lanes, in a way where you reinvent what you're doing, you extend the portfolio out, um, you know, either into adjacencies or into, uh, into new
3: geographies. I mean, I think that's slightly longer um, time frame but, but it varies. So, you know, rarely do great athletes or dancers lurch. They have this smoothness and it's the same with companies. I mean, if you lurch, it generally hurts. The problem with a board or a management team that's put off the big move for too long though, is they kind of all of a sudden need to get to greatness and they start looking for a silver bullet. That's really dangerous. So come back to this idea of you know, constancy of purpose, seeing it over a long period of time and making the moves and just being accepting that normal is a constant state of transformation. Okay, let's get used to that. Let's build a company that's really good at that and can keep it going.
2: I think also for some industries, so you know, if you look at, uh, at resources or commodities, knowing where you are in the cycle also matters. So, you know, we've seen time and time again the value destruction of organisations that have bought at the top of the cycle, only to be faced by, you know, then price declines on commodities. Uh, They're left with a massive asset overhang, massive capital overhang. They have to write things down. So part of it's about also getting the timing right.
1: And the odds obviously change according to the industry context, according to whether you've got headwinds or tailwinds.
3: Well, let me me put it in numbers. I mentioned before that if you're in the middle of the power curve, you have an 8% chance, all things being equal of going to the top. But as we find more out about the company, we can adjust those odds, right? So it's a bit like updating your, your ideas. So if you're in a uh, headwind industry, so if your industry is declining, those odds go from eight to four. So you kind of power down by half. But if you're in an industry that's improving its performance, those odds go up to 15. So already there's this kind of big difference, uh, more than three times of being headwind and tailwind. But then at that 15 level, if you're in an industry with a tailwind and you do the all-in transformation, your odds go 39. So it's like you get this big kind of double layer cakes of odds improvement as you improve both your context and then you layer in the right kind of all-in transformation.
1: So Wes, for a leadership team that sees the need to transform the business, what questions should they be asking going into the strategy room tomorrow? So I think if you're a leadership team and you, you know that you need to transform, I think there are
2: some really important questions that you have to put on the table when you go into the strategy room. I think the first is, what's happening in our industry at the moment? What are the, the trends, the tailwinds, the headwinds, the competitive context? So we're at, what's our starting point? I think the second big question is, what's the full potential of what we could actually do given the starting point of this business? And the full potential within the current context And then I think the full potential, if we start to look at breakout portfolio moves. So they're the first first two questions. I think the third big question to ask is, what's our starting position on organisational health? So are we a healthy organisation? Do we have great alignment around where we're going? Do we have good execution capability? Are we thinking about how we renew in the right way? And what does that look like at a granular level throughout the
3: organisation? I think that point on health is really important. If you think about an athlete, when they're training, they improve their health and their performance. And our view is you should never waste a transformation because a transformation is a massive opportunity to really strengthen and improve the health of the organisation. In fact, we'd argue organisational health initiatives that are divorced from improvement don't have the kind of teeth and the rigour you need to get really strong. So never waste a transformation. In fact, we know that uh, statistically organisations that
2: focus on their organisational health and they improve their organisational health to the top quartile on average they have 3x the TRS performance of other organisations.
1: There's a lot of companies they'll be having annual strategy processes and so the very first step would be let's think about moving away from annual strategy cycle.
3: So, so a lot of companies get stuck in this kind of washing machine cycle of annual planning. Uh, the problem is the thing that gets washed out there is actual strategic thinking and that's because the effort it takes and the detail to make annual operating plans is really really high and Uh, A lot of things like competing for budgets, competing for resources, negotiations, crowd out the strategic thinking. So with our clients, what we're trying to do is step in and and almost look at it as though you're a fresh owner. Maybe take the persona of an activist investor or a private equity investor. And what are they looking at? Well, they're looking at the momentum case. What's happening to this industry fundamentally? They're not looking at some status quo baseline that you're looking at there. And then they're saying, okay, well, fundamentally, How attractive is this position over a long period of time? How sustainable is it? How much growth headroom do they have? So it's really important to have that process that's a bit disruptive. And by the way, we find that's better to do not inside the planning process, but next to it. This kind of this twin track approach.
2: Kim, I think traditionally organizations have uh, tended to split out the way they think about business as usual performance change or performance improvement and strategy and you see this all the time right you know we do strategy we have an annual strategy off-site where we talk about strategy and we've got to worry about bau on a daily basis and then we've got some big change programs going on over here i mean the fact of the matter is that you just can't do that you actually have to bring them together so in the context of all in transformation it's about how do you you know understand strategically where your starting point is where you're going and then to actually craft a transformation program that feeds into business as usual so that you're not just doing these things um, in a separated way. And you're certainly not just doing strategy on one annual cycle. You're actually constantly looking at where you're going, how you're improving the business with a site to a transformation outcome that will continue to evolve and change over time.
1: So it's again, it's this sense of doing things step by step in a steadfast
2: but, br- but bringing, but it is doing it step by step, but bringing them together um, as well and not actually separating them out as, as you know, three unrelated things. I
3: think that's a really important point is don't divorce the discussion about what's the performance improvement potential of the business from strategy because actually sometimes the biggest move you've got is to improve the productivity.
2: You know, Chris and I worked on another uh, organisation together who had made a big capital commitment and uh, you know, we started this process by looking at strategy and operational performance improvement together. And you know, there was a very clear recommendation that came out of the, the work that, that Chris and his team had done about how do you think about some of these big capital decisions and, and you know, perhaps unwinding them. And they were big choices for them to make. What they did is they chose to actually shy away from that and focus on the performance aspects, I think, in the hope that you know, if we get the performance right, then perhaps you know, this will come good over time. Now, companies that actually put their head in the sand and, and shy away from some of the, the big strategic decisions now
3: because they're hoping that performance is going to help, you know, wash them through, also get themselves into trouble. Yeah, the world is not going on hold while you're doing a transformation program. So I think, you know, one way of summarising what we're talking about here is if the world's not on hold while you're doing a transformation, do your transformation in a direction, a vector and a movement that's actually going to leave you in the right place at the end.
1: Okay, so Chris, for an executive team looking to go all in tomorrow, how do they
3: work out how prepared they are, how ready they are? We, we think executive teams should be asking themselves six questions. The first question is, where's the value flowing? Do I really understand that? You know, it's really hard to beat the momentum. You know, the trend is going to wind in the end. So let's understand where those trends are and how they're interplaying with value, which profit pools are shrinking and growing. Let's have a really clear eyed perspective of when that plays out through our business, what's gonna happen. The
2: second question is, are we ready to put our money where our strategy is? And what we
3: mean by that is, are we ready to
2: reallocate capital? Are we ready to really back the direction that we're taking and, uh, and, and look at moving the resources into the right place to make that happen?
3: The third question is, are you ready to cannibalize yourself? You know, One of the things that can prevent really transformational moves is kind of fear of upsetting the status quo or kind of eating into today's profits. That kind of long-term focus, if you look at companies that really do successfully change lanes and successfully transition, they seem really willing to be the cannibal rather than the meat. The fourth question is, are we ready to set the highest aspiration?
2: Are we really ready to set an aspiration that will move us to the top of the power curve, that gets to the full potential of the business, uh, that's really inspiring, uh, and also a bit uncomfortable? I mean, if we're not setting an aspiration which is about uh, taking the business to a, to a height that, uh, that makes us feel a bit nervous, then perhaps it's not high enough. And we find that organisations that take the time to set that right level of bold aspiration in terms of both performance and health
3: uh, are really ready to, to start to think about going all in on transformation. The fifth question is what's it gonna to take to get the organisation to take this seriously? Think about your own life when you've changed your life a lot is usually a big external shock happen. For, for me as having children, your life changes radically and you don't have much choice about it. But absent that, change is really difficult. So uh, CEOs and boards and companies often find it easy to make moves when there's an activist at the door or when there's a private equity takeover. But absent of those things, how are you gonna build a a real sense of conviction uh, and courage to make this move proactively? So what's the process you're gonna go through? How are you gonna get people on board and to really own that sense of change without it being forced on them necessarily? And
2: the sixth and final question that we ask is, are you ready for the leadership challenge? I think most CEOs would say that they've been through multiple transformations in their career, but the reality is that, that CEOs that actually lead a, a big all-in transformation tend to make a level of commitment that is uh, astronomical. And it's a level of commitment that uh, in many cases is career defining. And so that's about being you know, very public in the organisation about what we can achieve, about what it means to you, uh, about setting aspirations that, that underwrite that. And then really being out there to take the organisation on a, on a journey that um, is going to be very visible about you know, whether you've been able to succeed uh, or otherwise. As an example, you know I've got a, a client who went out and defined the potential for their aspiration and put a set of really hard metrics against it, and they went out there publicly with those metrics. And many people looked at that and they said, wow, why would you do that? And the CEO said, you know, because I want to make a level of commitment that is clear about how important this is to me and about how I intend to lead this transformation
0: in a way that's going to allow this organization to do something that's uh, that's simply amazing. Thank you for joining us today inside the Strategy Room. A transcript of this discussion will be available on the Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice site on McKinsey.com, where you may also find links to our previous episodes. If you'd like to receive our latest insights, please email us at strategycf underscore practice at McKinsey.com. Follow us on Twitter at MCK strategy or connect with our community on LinkedIn via the McKinsey strategy and corporate finance practice page. Thanks again for listening. And we look forward to having you join us again soon for our next episode of Inside the Strategy Room.